0: Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Styles of Styles Law, Thomas McCoy, and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Oh. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. <laughs> Thunderous applause.
1: Thunderous applause. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. That was a real nice one, a real good one, huh? especially. I mean, are you not winded? I mean, you're you're practicing for 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 Pam Mass. I mean,
0: uh-huh. what's practicing. Going on? Yes, I'm constantly practicing. I'm I'm working uh, working towards the goal of not being tired out there. Yeah, so we went out there in a little heat heat wave today to see how we're doing on our hydration skills today. Crazy. When is the uh, the actual race? Uh, two weeks. Well, it's not a race. and that's not a race. Let's be careful with our words, right? Very it's a lot. Very
1: important.
0: Uh, technically, it starts uh, two weeks from Saturday. But as I've mentioned here before, we are doing what's called Day Zero. Yeah. The day before Pan Mass, we're going to go out to uh, the border of New York and and ride into the beginning for the day before.
1: And how can people donate to this cause?
0: Uh, PMC.org. Uh, and then you can search for your favorite rider. One named mark styles would be honored to uh to to uh accept your donations but yep. uh yeah pmc.org very 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 great organization uh one weekend uh, a year raises more money than any other event in the nation one event one
2: what are you writing for mark
0: we are riding for dana farber cancer institute so we're okay. riding to eliminate cancer from uh from the planet and uh they raise around 60 million dollars last year so i think the goal is is uh, uh north of that and we're really excited so i've got a 20,000 dollar goal this year uh, i'm scratching the surface right now but we've got a big push so we've been uh doing some social media campaigns and doing some fun things. We're doing an event uh, next week and um, we're going, I mean, the goal is, is to eliminate cancer from, from the vocabulary.
2: Well, I'll get, get your riding gear on. Cause I used to do it and I did it extensively. I uh, raised hundreds of thousands for leukemia cool. and lymphoma society. And I was a, a trainer and trained people. And I did 18 events. Wow. At 100 mile rides. So, but you know how many miles you ride before you actually ride. So, the reality is 26 weeks to training to get tuned up. You got lots of road time. Oh, yeah. 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 My eldest son uh, has chronic myelogenous leukemia. So, I know, I know what it's like to do that. So, congratulations to you. Good luck with your ride. Stay cool and don't overheat.
0: Yeah, we're doing our best. We're doing our best. So our
1: WAPD listeners may not recognize that voice. Uh Let me pitch it over
3: to you. And could you introduce our guest? Oh, that wasn't Larry? No, that (laughs) wasn't Larry. (laughs) Oh, never mind, Dr. Joe. I got the little memo here.
2: Our guest tonight,
3: Dr. Joe, is the creator and host of Inside Personal Growth. He's an author, creative consultant, and thought leader in the human potential movement. Inside Personal Growth was born out of his passion for personal growth and mastery. He continually strives to improve his own life spiritually, emotionally, and physically as he learns from the hundreds of authors interviewed on his website. Welcome to the Dr. Joe show, Greg Voisin. Welcome, Greg. Welcome,
1: welcome. Hey,
2: all of you, thank you very much. And all of the listeners in Boston and surrounding areas, thank you for listening to me and wanting to learn more about uh, my show, me, and my book.
1: Well, let's get right into it. Let's start with you, Greg. You have a remarkable background. I've read your book, The Opening. is it? It's just so powerful. Can you want to tell folks a little bit, first of all, about the opening of Hacking the Gap?
2: Yeah, the book is called Hacking the Gap, A Journey from Intuition to Innovation. And I, I think where the journey starts with me, and, and I'll be brief with this, is, you know, as you're Growing up, all these life experiences, Dr. Joe, as you know, which goes along with you as a psychologist, I'm kind of psychiatrist, getting
1: even worse, Greg. Psychiatrists, psychiatrists. Worse psychi- of course, it only matters a psychiatrist, but that's okay.
2: <laughs> but I think what happens is, you know, we start to set up these limiting beliefs. And the reason that I actually started this show is I used to be, uh, and then I'm speeding forward here, but uh, for a long time, I was a top producer in the financial services industry, and I was just burnt out. And my son came to me and he says, uh, you know, Dad, you go to all those million-dollar round table meetings and you get to hear all those great speakers. How about if you brought them on your show?
1: Greg, how and old how, about you? If you, you know, how old were you when your son came up to you? How old was your son? How, not how old you. How old was your son when he came up to you and gave you that, that advice? advice? Yeah. How old was he? Um
2: he was about 14 at the time because he it. built the first website.
1: That's incredible. 14 years old with wisdom. Go ahead. So what happened next?
2: So I started this podcast show 15 years ago, Inside Personal Growth, as a means to... Um, help educate people and inform them and inspire them about what they could do about, and I'm not just going to say limiting release, because we cover business, personal growth, wellness, mastery, and spirituality. So what I find is that the spirituality side of things is a big issue, but we, you know, and I both know that uh, some of the issues are, you, you know, you've got the subconscious and the conscious and the subconscious mind gets Programmed and literally, it's very hard to unwind. Um, And I believe that as a a human species walking the face of the earth, um, that I I was speaking with a social biologist the other day on a podcast. Her book was Watchman's Rattle, and the other one was On the Verge. And she said, You know, it's really great. We do all this, we have all these analytics, we can tell what's going on. But the reality is, um, and her name is Rebecca Costa. And she says, as a social biologist, looking at our species for millions of years, we literally wait till almost a disaster to make a change. Uh, we're really programmed that way. We're rewired that way. And I what I wanted to let people know is that you can choose to make a change before that. Uh, and the, the hacking the gap part of it is... Um, finding the fastest way between point A and point B, uh, really, and doing that through learning versus you having to have all these difficult learning experiences. Now, just yesterday, I had a beautiful guest on the show, Sterling Hawking, and uh, his book is called Hunting Discomfort. And he's basically saying the only way th- through is the discomfort that you have to go through to basically, and you should be hunting it. You shouldn't be waiting for discomfort to come because diff- discomfort's going to come. So my show is really around everybody who's uncomfortable, uncomfortable, uncertain, uh looking for solutions with inside themselves and has the ability obviously then to take action on that. In other words, you can take the action when you choose to take that action. Um, so that's a little bit about me, but more about you know the book and the process and, and how I got there.
1: But, but what was it that was going on in your world that inspired you to do this for so many other people?
2: I would say that I had a lot of, you know, as the Buddha says, there's pain and suffering and then there's getting out of pain and suffering, right? And, uh, I think there was a tremendous amount of pain and suffering for me on not, not being enough. Mm. And I, th- I think I see so many people out there who don't believe they're enough. Um, and whether it was your parents who said, Hey, you needed to get A's in high school and college and you believe that or you wouldn't be, or you needed to be on the dean's list or whatever the story was, or you needed to marry this XYZ person because it was going to be great. Um, It's all about, you know, uh, self-doubt, doubting ourself and doubting our ability. And from a personal growth standpoint, the 957 interviews with authors on really these topics. And what I find is a broad range of approaches to, uh, I wouldn't say solving the problems either. Really analyzing the problems, analyzing the problems and you defining your own solution.
1: And you defined yours.
2: Well, mine was the pain and suffering of a family. You know, I, 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 you go back to this. Uh, I was brought up with a little Jewish mother and a Catholic father. He never, uh, he never practiced Catholicism. Uh, so my mother's was a dominant in the family. And her message was the Groundhog's Day that, what did you do for me today? She didn't mean for her. She meant, what did you do today? There was never about being. It was always about doing, right? And so I think what happens is we get caught in this kind of rat trap of not really thinking about who we are, what we want to become, but what we need to do. To look good in the eyes of other people and especially your parents who you're living up to, who've put a pretty high, put you on a pretty high pedestal in most cases, right? I think that's. And I don't, and I don't think Joe from generation to generation, this isn't anything against my mother's generation or the generation prior to her, but I think this is perpetuated. You know, if I did a histogram of my family, I could see all of that. There, I did a histogram, so I saw what happened with inside uh the family and um, I'm not blaming anybody; I'm so blessed to have had a family like this, but I'm even more blessed for what I just said, having figured it out on my own and worked my way through it to get to the other side. Now that meant you know uh, Dr. Joe going through anxiety attacks, not being able to get on an elevator, not being able to go into a restaurant. Being afraid, thought I was having a heart attack, being hooked up to stuff on my head so that they could look at the electrodes and see what I was doing. When I actually saw what I was doing myself to debilitate myself physically, that it wasn't you know, something that um, somebody on the outside world did, I can't blame them nope. for what's going on. I yeah. created it all.
1: That's right. Well, if you if it's always someone else's fault, you're never in control. Right. And if you're not in control, you're always going to be anxious. So, great opening. Where do you want to go now? Do you want to go into the book? you want to go deeper into your spirituality, uh, your
2: life? It's, it's, uh, you know, I kind of leave that up you. to you. You can go either way because the book, you know, is kind of a memoir. Yeah, You know, it, yeah. it is isn't. it isn't. It's really a lot of instructional design of what you can do. But but yeah. for the most part, um, there's things that I advocate doing that I believe will help people out of pain and suffering.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I always wanted to write a book like that called uh, a self-help book, a memoir. You know, it's like, because yeah. that's what you've done is you really have taken the examples of your life and really shown how you then move with that to another position but you know you and i were on the same page with this but you
2: know what writers always say is if uh you know if mark was sitting next to me in a movie theater he'd want me he'd want to hear the story that like we're friends we just sit there and we talk to one another right and i believe a podcast show is the same every time i dress dress my audiences i'm saying you know you're with me i'm don't put me on a pedestal. I'm equal with you. Yes, I've gone through some things. Maybe you can learn from these. Maybe you can't. I'm happy to share it with you.
1: Yeah. Well, this is this is uh you know what we're talking about now with lived experience. You know, it's and yeah. everyone has it. There's just some people who've had more trauma during it or not but we've all we've all have lived experience this is our life and all fair we, you were talking about a new book that you're working on greg so tell me
2: about that i'm i'm working i'm really excited about it actually i've I've been so blessed to meet so many authors along the way a lot of them have said hey greg will you help me write my next book hmm. and this one is uh, life on the precipice and it's a story of a gentleman who's done climbed the highest seven summits and i think that all of these peaks that we ha- that we, ra- we get to as people come with challenges, right? So he's climbed Everest twice. He's climbed all the highest seven summits in the world. But in the process of writing this book, I got the pleasure and the honor of interviewing uh, in excess of 20 mountain climbers who've mm-hmm. climbed most of these peaks. Okay. And some of you might, some of the listeners might know NIMS uh, that's the, the the guy from Tibet that did the story. Uh, you, you probably know the guy that did the face in Yosemite. Uh, we had, you know, so you look at these people and I said, it's interesting how they look at life, Dr. Joe. Um, they're not intentionally going out after death. They're intentionally going out because they're curious and they're explorers. But they say you only live life when you face death. So in other words, when you get to that precipice, when you get to that peak for me to make it up there, and you'll hear this again and again and again, they say, we're not saying we're advocating the death, but we're so drawn to the mountains that the mountains call us to keep getting to the top, uh, and exploring. And I think that's about personal growth as well. The journey that you take from birth to death is your journey and Every step along the way, you get an opportunity to make choices. Do I go this way? Do I go that way? Is there going to be an avalanche? Is there going to be a rock slide? <laughs> you know, but am, am I going to fall? Whatever it might be, um, but you know, it's in the end. You'll hear this from them too, because their lives are so rattled with trying to find balance and harmony. They're away from their families for long periods of time. Uh, lots of divorces, lots of challenges. Um, not really being able to manage that well because this calling from the mountains is so strong that they just leave. They just go. It's almost like they blank out and go, well, I'm going to leave you again. Where can I take care of the family. I'm off to go climb the mountain, right? Another six-month expedition. Um, so I found it fascinating. I'm finding the whole thing fascinating because the insights that are being received as a result of this gift I was given by a gentleman by the name of Beau Parfet, um, it it just correlates so much to personal growth and to my book, Hacking the Gap. Everybody on that mountain is trying to find the shortest distance between two points with the least amount of pain and suffering along the way to get to the peak.
1: It's an incredible metaphor, but it's it's interesting given your interview with the sociobiologist, the sociobiologist is saying that, that many human beings are incredibly cautious and they don't want to make a change until they absolutely have to adapt to a new environment. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet that can absolutely cripple us if we are waiting for the environment to influence the changes that we make
2: well the juxtaposition is you get a lot of people that sit on their butt and you get a lot of people that mountain climb so you you have to say it, it physiologically if the endorphins are being released chemically with inside of me as a result of the activity. So here you have Mark, he's going to go to a bike ride. You can't tell me that bike riding doesn't release tons of endorphins because right. it does. Because what happens is you get out, you have nothing else to think about. You're on the road and you're literally one with yourself. It's a meditation beyond any meditation in the world. You can go do chen. You can tell me everything about meditation. I've spent more time on a cushion as much as anybody and I will tell you, riding my bike is more meditative than sitting on the cushion. Mm. Okay. And the reason is sitting on the cushion is not providing me with the same endorphin. Not that it couldn't, because look, I just watched the Netflix uh, deal with Michael Poland on all the psilocybin and, you know, microdosing LSD and uh, taking ayahuasca and all these things to attempt to get to a certain level with inside. Now I, I believe that all these these plant based drugs are wonderful. It's curing O C D, it's curing PTSD, it's doing all kinds of things that people out there are in pain with. And they can really shorten the cycle of that pain by actually taking or administering one of those drugs. I would highly advocate it.
1: One has to be quite cautious though. WATD does right. not endorse this. Is the,
2: not the, the views
1: of the show. Are not. <laughs> so, but, 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 I understand. Right, but Mark, let me ask you. Uh, uh, you know, do you relate to what Greg is talking about with the, the yeah. meditative aspect of cycling?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, the reason I'm there is, it, it, I, I'm more of a. I always say I'm a fundraiser, not a cyclist. I'm a fundraiser who happens to ride a bike. But over the years, I'm totally engaged with what Greg's talking about because there's something about riding you you see things that you would never see in a car you'll never see jogging right jogging you run three miles and you run a circle and you see the same things every time maybe you run five seven miles but here you're riding over the course of training hundreds and hundreds of miles in random random places and it's really it's splendid because you 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 really realize what is out there and it is meditative. There's no question about it. If you're in that zone and simply pedaling and looking around, it's it's quite relaxing.
2: It is. Even even Dr. Joe, the cans that have been thrown out on the side of the roads become interesting little obstacles for you because you only have one and, and you can chime in, Mark, you only have one objective. And your objective is every time your foot moves around the pedal to make sure you stay upright, stay focused, and you'd stay diligent on the road and make sure you don't get hit or whatever it might be. And at the same time, you get the opportunity to enjoy that scenery off to the right or the left. Um, I happen to be blessed. I get to ride up and down the coast of California. So every time I ride to the right, I look out into the ocean and I can see whales i can see seals um if it's on a great day i can see some really nice bikinis too right uh so the reality is is that you know you you do this and you, but it isn't something that if you drove your car like he just said that you would take notice of but because the bike doesn't go as fast and you're exerting energy lots of energy to make this happen whether you're climbing a hill or you're doing whatever it becomes extremely meditative agreed and then
1: how do you use that exercise that meditative ability and translate it into your workday? how do you take that what sounds like peace and calm and awareness and vigilance and you know just being tuned in how do you then take that and use it in work. And, and is that part of hacking the gap as well?
2: Yeah. Well, there's there's prescriptive and there's takeaways in the chapter. Anyone gets the book, will can read that. There's a lot on meditation. There's a lot on solace. There's a lot on contemplation. When I say a lot, I mean, there's much written about the, th- the things you can do. So if we are going to be doing beings... Let's do doing beings, which is helping take us to the highest level of consciousness as a soul we could to transmute whatever level of pain. It also allows you to get tremendous focus. I mean, you know, Stephen Kotler's been on here, The Art of Impossible, all these books that he's written and done studies on this. And he'll say, look, you know, Mark does it, I'll bet, for two reasons. One, he's out there raising money. And that's a cause beyond himself. So he has a purpose, but he's also curious. When you start with curiosity, it leads through a series of things to purpose. And I believe that it does. And most people have high levels of curiosity. So I, I'm doing a, an interview, um, uh, with uh, Seth Goldberg. He's in, actually, he's in, um, Nantucket and the book is, um, Called radical curiosity, right? And you know we've lost, we've lost this radical curiosity mm. to help solve problems. And um, I think he's absolutely right. And Dr. Joe, what I would say is, when you get out on a bike and you use this now to come in, you're more engaged to want to focus on doing something good and solving somebody's problem.
1: Mm. well the radical curiosity it, it would be nice if we could regain that but what is really terrific is many of our sponsors are radically curious about their thing and how they can help you so Tom what about you What, what, what's, what what's your meditative
3: state what do you do I, I like really long walks so mm. uh, in my town in Marshall which we all live as I have about, I think it's about a 10-mile walk between my house and this area called Green Harbor. Hmm. And I I actually lost 80 pounds over the first winter, the winter of 2021, mostly by walking like two and a half hours every night. Uh, And it's like, especially in the winter, it's super peaceful. And I got a lot of thinking done. Over that time, a lot of thinking. Sure did. I, you know, I, I think it, somehow,
1: it was examine is is gaming meditative, or are you just too tuned in?
3: Oh, sure, can be. Uh, I think if it's like a game you're familiar with that you can play to relax, mm. you can really you can really tune out. Uh, Sometimes some games you'll play, like Minecraft, for example. That's a great game to like listen to podcasts to. Uh, there are some that are very story-driven, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I think I think uh, games like Tetris or something. I think like people will play that exclusively to relax and clear the heads. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, and
2: I think uh, Doctor Joe, he's absolutely right. You know that walking to release eighty pounds was a tremendous thing to do, but more importantly, the time he got to think about everything else because you actually get to change your actions as a result of that deep contemplative thinking you know where you may want to go with this is uh the intuition yeah absolutely. um i that might be a good place after this commercial's done to like uh, plug off into you know well you have a way to help people get from intuition to innovation how do they do that right. um and we could kind of maybe do a little round robin on that
1: i think that'd be great and i think i wrote to you you know one of the things that that i teach um, all my students is intuition is the precursor to technique
0: and we are back we are back with the dr joe show with author greg voison who is hacking the gap that we're going to talk about going from intuition to innovation isn't that what we're going to be talking about dr they joe
1: are. let's jump right into it, it. Greg. Right? okay intuition
2: well, so look, this book, while it is written for individuals who are entrepreneurs, everybody's a entrepreneur in my mind. Okay? I agree. Or I can agree. be. Okay. Yes. And I tested this because I went to the universities and I did a lot of studies and I, and I interviewed software engineers and all kinds of other people. And, you know, somebody who was radically curious, like we said last time, was Stephen Jobs. Probably couldn't have been anybody more radically curious than Stephen Jobs. But you'll find that a lot of the architects of our software, there's many gentlemen and women who are radically curious. They want to solve a problem. And so I said to myself, well, I want to ask you guys something. And I started out with this survey, Dr. Joe, around intuition. Well, do you believe that you use intuition to create the software? Do you believe you use intuition? Where did this intuition come from? And I'd get some people that would just light up and go, yeah, I I got intuition. I get other people, no, it's too scientific. There's no intuition. I don't believe in intuition. Hmm. I was like, well, really? So did you ever have a feeling? Did you ever get a sense? Did you ever... Go down. Well, yeah, I did, but I don't believe that's intuition because I believe what happened is I programmed my brain enough through college and enough meetings that I connected the dots. And I said, Yeah, I believe you did connect the dots. But sometimes you connect the dots and it's you're missing a dot. Where did the dot come from? Well, I had this epiphany. Oh. So you did have some little epiphany about how you might redesign something to make it. So here's for the listeners. Uh, and there's a little graph and chart in the book. Dr. Joe knows this. You know, I believe it starts with intuition. Uh It's listening deeply. We just talked about that. You know, Mark's going on a bike ride. Thomas is doing long walks. He's listening deeply, right? And there is a voice that speaks to you. People would say, oh, voice and you're crazy. And, you know, you get, you, you hear these voices.
1: Wait, wait, was, was that a pun? Yeah, Yeah.
2: exactly. (laughs) And then the second thing is, I think from that, you get an insight. And the insight is really, it's the, I call it the aha moment. There's Mm a lot written about insights. There's a lot written about intuition. But when that insight now is like, whoa, I have an idea. I have an idea for that iPhone, Steve Jobs. Right. How many of you know he used to use the tone on the phone? Probably Thomas does. And he used to go and pay phones and he used to hit those numbers and he started with the tones that the phone would make. You know, you'd go dot, not, 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 you know, when you're hitting it. So, and he used to scam the phone company because he knew how to do it. He was that smart. That's how he, he was making all kinds of calls without ever paying for them. So he had this idea. And here's the point. You get inspired then. Because knowing it's right. Now, here's here's what it is. Is it a knowing for you? It doesn't have to be a knowing for somebody else. All right? So, you know, you you have people argue points with you about your idea, and they tell you, as I just said, you're crazy. You're a lunatic. That idea is never going to work. And then you read in the newspaper. Six months later, some guy had the same idea and went for it. And you're like, shoot, I had that great idea. And I'm said everybody's got great ideas. You just didn't take action on them. What we were just talking about at the beginning of the show, we waited around forever before we ever implemented anything. Then after inspiration, you incubate. We all incubate for a period of time. We got to think about it, cogitate on it, think it over. After that, here's one of the hardest steps. And it's the ignition step, all right? And that's where you manage the energy associated with launching any good idea. Because a lot of entrepreneurs will burn out before the idea ever takes hold because they don't know how to manage their own personal energies. So whether you take runs or you ride your bike or you meditate or whatever it might be. And I found this to be the case because for me, I got in many positions where I ended up getting anxiety attacks because I was so much there that I couldn't deal with it. It was like, I didn't know how to manage the energy. I was like overboard, right? Um, And then you go into the innovation and people say, well, that's innovation stage. Well, yeah, you have to innovate the idea. You got to take it. You got to make prototypes. You got to make models. You got to, you know, you got to work it up, right? And last one is implementation. So the step from Innovation to implementation is for most people. That's the marketing part. That's the part. Well, I got my prototype. It works. I sent it to China. It all came back. It's all working. Let's now put it to market. We're going to put it on the internet. We're going to shove it up at Amazon. We're going to, we're going to get it to work. We're going to get people to buy it. So that little cycle, I went out and then I went to people in innovation departments, actually a very famous one in Massachusetts, actually a gal. I can't think of her name right now. And I asked her, I said, hey, you know, this was my theory. I just kind of tested it. She said, you know, you have every step that is actually almost 100% correct. I might put it in a different order, but the reality is I- anybody who's studied innovation, every one of those steps is part of the process. I thought, okay, well, I thought that was my idea. It really wasn't. It actually had already been out there, but the reality is, is that I think everybody needs to know that. With inside of you resides a person who has a great idea that if you act on it, could do something that could change the world. So act on it.
0: So what do you say to the folks that say, "Yeah, but if I say it out loud, someone might steal it from me"?
2: Well, I th- I think Dr. Joe would have probably attested to this: is is they have enough self self doubt in themselves that they aren't willing to say it out loud and they have fear. They have so much fear of themselves. So we could talk about fear all day long, but I remember a long time ago going to talks and I think it was Zig Ziglar used to say, it's false expectations appearing real. Right. And I always could remember that acronym. Right. And again, I come from more of a Eastern philosophy I think the biggest challenge in managing that energy, Mark and Joe and Tom, is you get attached to something and you think it's going to happen a certain way. But if you have attachment to the goal goal occurring a certain way, it doesn't always happen that way. And that burns you out. And that was me. I was like, oh, it's going to go just this way. You're step one, step two, step three, step four. That's bullshit. It never, ever happens that way. The other part is, you know, Marshall Goldsmith was on here, the the biggest coach in the United States, coaching uh, people that achieve a ton. And he said, you know, you move on a continuum from regret to fulfillment. And here's the reality is that when you don't know that all of this is impermanent and you're a high achiever. You don't even know as a high achiever what impermanence is. You don't even know what not being attached to something is if you're a high achiever. And why are you a high achiever? Because you're trying to uh, uh, solve something for yourself or prove something to yourself or to someone else, and most likely somebody else.
1: Mm. And does that get back to the, the philosophy of your mom to do
2: oh yeah, my mom, she ingrained it into me. Um, what did you do today? Are you saving your money? You know, it doesn't matter what it was. But hers was all around, I'm not going to just say doing, it was all about you achieving. Because
1: mm-hmm.
2: the only way you could be recognized was to achieve something. Yeah. Okay? And I think,
1: you know, that that also haunts a lot of people, doesn't it, Greg? That some people, they feel they're imposters. They feel that their achievements are just shams to other people. And yet, we're all at an IM. We're all doing the best we can at every moment in time, the potential to change. Um, and to back to that intuition, one of the things that that I like to say is intuition is a precursor to technique. You know we have these intuitive things to do we 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 just sort of instinctively do something it's our intuition with this but once you know why you're doing it you can do it at any time you can make it a technique and to go back to to some of your other things about the innovation and and being able to see this this intuition this picture there was this guy kukuli i don't know if you ever know about this guy it's in organic chemistry people still awake i'm sorry but um in organic chemistry there was this problem with this this molecule these carbons six carbons that didn't make sense at all and kukuli was working on this working on it he had a dream he literally i'm I'm not talking about he had a dream like a vision he was asleep and Mm -hmm. in his sleep he had this dream Mm -hmm. about six snakes that we're in a circle biting each other's tails. That is the structure of the carbon ring. Mm -hmm. Benzene ring. That's what changed our understanding of organic chemistry. And it was
2: a dream. He he had this intuition. Mm
1: -hmm. He put it together.
2: And and what you say there about the snake biting its tail is literally in the Do Chin philosophy, that's awareness of your awareness. Wow. So, you know, when you're awareness of your awareness, right, then there's no thing. Yeah. So Then the mind is empty, you know. So so I think that because that symbolism of that, you know, that snake that you just said, I have a feeling there might have been more to that than just solving the problem, right? Mm. Because when you can get that to that estate, you can then find this uh, I'm not going to say Nirvana, but we. I talked a few minutes ago about, and you said this isn't endorsed by this show. But if, if people are going to take psilocybin or you know any of these LSD or whatever microdose, you know they're actually seeking some kind of state like that to get through. Now, in this gentleman's case, as a scientist, he was trying to break through the problem. Yes. Right. Now, that didn't mean that he he didn't microdose something to get there. Maybe he did before he went to sleep. But my point was, is that he came up with a solution. You don't have to microdose anything to do that. You know what you have to do? You have to do a hell of a lot more bike riding, like what Mark's doing and I'm doing, and you will get there.
1: Yeah, you will. Because when you can be connected to the world in that way, when we realize that, that the air that we breathe doesn't separate us but connects us, right. that is a powerful, powerful thing. And I think it's very comforting. I think, you know, we're one group. We're humanity. It's not this group and that group and this group and that group separated all the time. We don't have to be. But it's in that separation that we get the anxiety because if I'm separate from you, then you may want to compete with me. But what's nice is we don't have that competition here. We're not separate. We are endorsed and supported by so many people, including our sponsors.
0: So Greg, you were a financial advisor. Is that what your uh, initial career was?
2: I actually went, you want me to distill it down? Yeah, I did that. But I was a uh, in the top three percent of all life insurance salesmen in the world so i was selling a product which people never even knew they could collect on
0: what was what it a uh, uh
2: life insurance yeah life insurance you don't think that that's not the hardest intangible in the world to sell right mm. guy says i'm going to give you money and i have to die
0: right well, were you selling it as an investment vehicle with some of the cash value? And I
2: sold whatever was important. I think what you realize is that a lot of people um, in the Million Dollar Roundtable, what we realized is that there was nothing less expensive to leverage your ability should you predecease your heirs.
1: Right.
2: And if you get that and you say, hey, look, I have a wife, five kids, and they're going to have to carry on if... A bus hits me tomorrow or whatever. I paid on a lot of death claims where they were really grateful. But Mm. it's a tough business. Yeah. yeah. Mm. What makes it so tough, Greg? Um, I think what makes it tough is the amount of rejection. Mm. Tons of rejection. Uh, Nine out of ten people fail at it. Uh, Mm. To be a success at it, I remember they did an ego test on me at the time. Because I was in my late 20s early 30s and the guy said you're off the chart on the ego test What's so that, mean? that meant that i had the ability to sustain um large amounts of rejection and succeed and i did you know i mean you're going to get eight people say no and two people say yes if you're lucky <laughs> you know
0: so That's that right. was a
2: really good training ground an, and an you know, excellent. What,
0: training what point did you say that I, this is not fulfilling
2: the part when it always became financial and there was nothing spiritual because i was speaking to my clients about spiritual things um and if i got clients that understood the spiritual element of it i was happy but most clients started as you said buying it as an investment uh, it's got cash value i'm never going to see it
1: before he i, I won't say before you had this insight but but there must have been some moment when your, your 14-year-old son comes up to you and says, Dad, you know, maybe it's time to do something else.
2: Well, you know, he, my son was very observant and he saw that I was in pain, like I said. And the pain was attributed to, and now I realize at a time I didn't, my belief system about what I was doing. Mm. I think anything is transmutable when you shift the lens of focus. and But I didn't know how to shift that lens of focus and uh, my perspective. So to me, it was great And so he and I, actually, he grew a little older, but during that time, I started the show and then he became 18. And then I started a consulting company for business owners Uh and through a company called Illuminate Consulting Inc. And our job was really transforming the culture of the organizations with inside it. And we would go around and do meditation retreats when they weren't very uh, cool, and it was amazing. I remember Joe. One year, he and I went down to this big conference we we're invited to for logistics. So this is FedEx. It's it's uh, it's UPS. It's all these guys, right? Management. And we said, uh, our program is called "Never Mind the Noise: Thriving in a World of Ever Increasing Complexity." Come to this workshop. Well, when the Management companies put that up. There were thousands. It sold out. They were waiting out the door. Wow. My my son and I were like, "How in the world is this happening? These guys that are out there doing logistics, driving trucks and whatever, want to come in and figure out how to get some peace." So we did this never mind the noise workshop for quite some time, all around the country, and for the insurance industry that I had been in. And um, the reality was it wasn't just meditation. We we taught more than that about releasing, how to release themselves from the confines of that cons- construct in the mind. Um, but they all walked away. And honestly, we we would do an hour-long workshop. We'd put 15 to 20 minutes of meditation in it. And they'd all be leaving floating, going because they'd never actually done breathing, deep breathing, or meditating ever. And they're like, cool, because we would have this for three days at this workshop, Joe, and we'd see the same people come back again. So they were coming back into the workshop more than once. So I thought that was very fulfilling.
1: You know, it it, it is wonderful to hear, Greg, because you know, one of the things that we've talked about with the IM is, you know, when you remind someone else of their value, you increase your own value. And, and in part, this is also what, what Mark He's talking about with with his bicycle riding. He, he'll use the word gratitude and how how it's amazing. Well, maybe you can talk about it, Mark. When when you're riding, you know, and
0: people are handing giving you water or just on the side of the road. The event itself, yeah, it's it's 48 hours of pure gratitude. Volunteers uh, thanking, thank you, no, thank you, and then there's people on the side showing signs i'm you know 12 years old because of you and you know those things it's uh it's spiritual it's uh it's very very fulfilling and it's
2: plus there's a big community mark that yeah that um you, you want to talk about communities of support and what you do with young people who've had addiction and bringing them in this community of writers and support and administrators for the organizations, Dana Farber in this case. It it's just you you can't I don't know of anywhere else I've gone where I've found that deep connectedness in the community. That's why you keep coming back year and year and people say, I right. oh, you've done like 13 events. You're coming right. back again? What are you, a masochist? Right. And I was like, you know, yeah, I am.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> but there's something, there
1: really is something about service, about doing something for somebody else. Yeah. You know, one of, one of the things we talk about with the IM is we all want the same thing, which is just to feel valued by somebody else. But for millennia, human beings have increased their value by decreasing somebody else's. And then are astonished that the other person does the same. That's why we have the wars, the, the conflict, the separations. But we don't need to do that anymore. We actually never needed to do that. You can always remind someone of their value. You become more valuable. You increase your group, which means you're then safer. And when you feel safer, you can shift your brain from that. Well, you, you talk about the cortisol response in, in your book about the stress and how cortisol will interfere with things. But you can then actually do more when you give. One of the things we say in, in the addiction world that I talk with my my folks about is contribute to society to help with your sobriety. When you contribute. It increases oxytocin in your brain, not oxycontin, oxytocin. And you just feel trusted. Mm -hmm. That's what we really want. So what do you think, Greg?
2: I think it's a, you know, you're speaking about your group and addiction. I just did an interview with Pamela Brinkler. She wrote a book called Conscious Bravery. How to care for people with addiction. I was just, I, it was really, really fascinating because, you know, the caregivers of people with addiction, in her case, two sons that got on methamphetamines and created a very hellish life for her. Plus she had just lost a husband to brain cancer as these kids were growing up. So she had kind of compounded. But what you said, what she did to transmute the pain was to learn how to be okay with who she was as a mother, yeah. that it, she didn't blame herself. She d- used meditation. And again, I don't want to harp on meditation, but I do want to say that I'm an advocate for whatever it is that you do that can calm your mind and get the monkey out of the brain because mm-hmm. it's in there all the time repeating yeah. and talking. So whether you do walks like Thomas did or you get on a bike or you go surf or... It, it it doesn't matter. I think anything in nature is a great prescriptive tool. And if you read my book, you're going to see I give lots of nature prescriptive elements associated with it. Because we have, and I'm not saying everybody, but as a society, I think we've lost touch with nature. You know, Mother Earth is calling out right now. Global warming is calling out. You guys are sitting in Boston at 97 degrees tonight. Uh, We're seeing fires all around Spain and other places in the world. And you can't tell me that there isn't a revolt as a result of this from the earth saying enough is enough. Right. And so I hope as a society, we all can come together and find solutions for these problems. Um, And in the process, I hope we all learn how peaceful we can be as a society along the way because we do not have to have this insane conflict in Ukraine and Russia and what's going on. I'm um, Not that it's the only one. Like, I can go back in history and we can name hundreds of these stupid wars that have occurred.
1: But, but I couldn't agree more. And, and, you know, that's what I also hope when people read the book because intuition to innovation and beyond, it's more than just your business. It really is how we approach Our world right now, it is time. You know, Greg, the, the I am approach, we talk about the four domains. We're doing the best we can in response to your home domain, your social domain, the biological domain of your brain and body, and the I see, how I see myself, how I think other people see me. Because these domains interact, a small change in any domain can have a big effect. You don't have to change everything. So, Greg, given what we're talking about tonight, What small change can you recommend to our listeners?
2: I think um, one of them is intention. Setting your intention um, to do something for yourself and someone else. You know, my show, you know, you made a contribution. I decided that every dollar that came in from the authors is going to go to the homeless. And so I walk the street with gift cards and I give it out to the homeless. And when Mm. it gets cold enough, I give them socks and hats and I do whatever. Now, I couldn't tell you how many of those people are drug addicted or how many of them are just bad on luck, but I have interviews that I've done with them, and I will tell you 80% of them are not drug addicted. Right. They're That's literally awful. just there because of some bad luck. Yeah. Some 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 circumstances and events that they don't didn't know how to deal with, and they didn't have what you and I are talking about right now, the IM. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And if they did, they probably wouldn't be there. So give them an opportunity, give them a chance.
3: Yeah.
1: And it's so—it's so, it's not about morality, it's about mortality. It is just the way the brain works. This isn't a moral issue. But the second truth of the I am, everyone is interested in what you think or feel about them through that see domain. And that has effect on their biological domain. Because you know it feels different when you feel respected or disrespected. You're part of someone's home or social domain. So, the second truth you control no one, you influence everyone. You mm-hmm. get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Greg Voice, what kind of influence do you want to be?
2: I would say that I would, the influence that I want to have is compassion spread to everybody that I live, work with. I understand I'm not perfect. There are times, look, you got to look at yourself. You get angry. You get upset at things. But underneath all that, compassion, and I was not just the Dalai Lama and not just Stephen Kotler, but in the end, if we're going to solve all these other problems, one of the biggest thing that needs to happen is there needs to be, everybody needs to have a big dose of compassion for the other souls walking the planet. Um, and with that, that's that's really what I say. I mean, my my foundation is Compassionate Communications Foundation.
1: Hack of a gap, Greg Voice, and you can get it on Amazon. Amazon and and his website. Please, folks, get it. It is terrific. Greg, thank you so much for being on the Doctor Show tonight.
2: Thanks so for having great. me. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Tom. So we're now.
1: Off WATD live, but we're still on Facebook. Greg, that was fantastic. Yeah, was so fast. Um, anything else that that you know you would have liked to have covered that you think we can send a message out to our Facebook live folks? And all of this will be podcast next week as well. So,
2: okay. You, uh, you know, I, I would just say, look, if if somebody out there is hurting for some reason, whatever that pain and suffering is that they're going through. Um I'd like to offer up, you know, they can reach out to me. They can reach mm-hmm. out to you. Um they really can reach out to a lot of people, but don't feel like you have to walk this journey and path alone. Um you know, I I reflect and I think I told you this story before, but I used to study a lot of Alan Watts and I had the Yeah the pleasure and knowledge of actually at pleasure of going into George Leonard's living room, the guys that actually started Estalon. Hmm. And George sat there and talked to me about mastery, the practice of something, something you have to practice. And what I would say is one of the things you need to practice is uh, being kind to yourself. We don't, frequently look at that as something that we're going to practice. We just think, oh, okay, that's great. But awareness of the fact that you're probably not being kind to yourself doesn't just pop up. You know, it's just that like just there isn't just this big awareness all of a sudden, hey, I'm not treating myself very well. So I would say, look, it takes some time for self compassion, uh, for self-awareness. Uh, to treat yourself better, and when you treat yourself better, you're going to treat all the people around you so much better, because you're going to release a lot of anger and frustration that you have as a result of that, because you normally are beating yourself up for something you should have, could have done that you didn't do, and the reality is, Dr. Joe, like you said, I am okay just the way I am right now. That's right. And I know I'm echoing the same message that you talk about, but... But it is so healing. It could heal everybody on this show.
1: Yeah, it can.
2: And but you, know, you really have to practice it.
1: I, I agree. You have to be aware of it. So even when you're beating yourself up, that's your I am. For at that moment in time, that's the best you can do. But you can now step back and wonder why am I doing this? Yeah. What's happening in my four domains? My home or social, my biological, my I see that. The best I can do right now is not care for myself. And instead of judging yourself about that, step back, wonder about it. It is much more rewarding to be reflective than reflexive and much more important to wonder than to worry. We have to be able to do this. And Greg, your, your book gives us these guidelines how to do it. I mean, we're, we're so simpatico. It's just, you know, it's, we're, we have different words for the same thing which is we're one group we're we're doing okay but if we don't like what's happening we can change it and honestly at this point we really have to we really have to
2: well it's like the tapestry you know mark it's not coincidence that mark rides bikes or thomas lost uh, 60 pounds walking and it 80 80 pounds yeah 80 yeah pounds. That's, that's
1: not that's not chipping.
2: but <laughs> but you know when you look at the the tapestry of life and the interconnectedness. You just look what happened on the show over the last hour.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, we have four individuals that really, only person I ever met here was you, Dr. Joe, first, and again on, on Zoom. Okay. And I just want to thank you and your team for having me on the, this afternoon and for us to be able to speak so openly and honestly about topics, which, you know, I love speaking about. But more importantly, I hope the listeners really have an opportunity to take away one nugget, whatever it might be. And if that one nugget tonight was, hey, I need to have more self-compassion and love with me. That to me is so healing to be able to then walk the face of the earth with this, what I'm going to call the tapestry, the web, the thousands of people that you've that you've met and talked to and spoken to and gone down the street and seen a guy play a flute and threw a dollar in his hat, you know, just take out your wallet and throw a dollar in the hat and just have zero expectation of what you're supposed to get in return. And please don't be afraid of those people. Those people are just like you and me. They had moms and dads. When I go out to the people on the street and I hand them a card, I recognize you know what? It's another soul walking the face of the earth. I need to be compassionate. And the reality is when you understand the story, no matter what it is, you're practicing I am. Yeah.
1: Well said, Greg. I so appreciate it. It's, it's, it's really wonderful having you on the show. I, when the next book comes out, come on back and, and talk about that as well. You're welcome back any time. Anything. Well, the
2: next book I'm going to write with my son, and it will be coming out probably within a year, and okay. it's called The the Guru in the Mirror.
1: The Guru and the Mayor.
2: The Guru in the Mirror.
1: Oh, The Guru the in the Mirror. mirror. That, that sounds a lot better, actually. Yes,
2: yes. Well, because, <laughs> you know, th- there's only one person when you look in it, you're your own guru.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you awesome. guys
2: were all great. I really enjoyed it. Hey, Mark, send me that link. I want to make a donation. Oh, you're link, a good right? man
0: you're a good man
2: uh, so you know oh yeah when are you doing it next weekend
0: it's two weekends
2: in two, two two more weeks, weeks. okay yeah. send me Joe's got my email address or yeah. you do yeah make sure you send me the link so I that I out. can make a donation to uh, the cause and how many miles are you riding
0: so the actual ride is 192
2: okay two so days. two days about 100 Four. miles a day
0: yeah and we're throwing an extra 100 on the beginning so it's basically 300 miles in three days
2: Ah, so you're doing oh that's a that's a hot damn, man. Yeah. So who's throwing the three hundred on?
0: So we're throwing an extra hundred on the day zero we were talking about. So okay. so there's day one and two, it's a hundred and a hundred, and then day zero actually gets us to the true border. So it's pan mass, and we always thought we're not really doing the whole state. So we're going back to the border and going to do the whole state.
2: Well, it doesn't surprise me you're doing it my blessings to you my energy will go with you as you pedal each pedal and stroke i know what it's like enjoy the ride my friend and more importantly enjoy what it is that you're doing for others
0: yeah i am and thank you for that i appreciate that very much
2: you're welcome thanks all right We'll we'll be chatting soon thank you for listening to this podcast on inside personal growth we appreciate your support